Well, good morning. Welcome to Open House. You are, yeah, come on. You are now in first period, right? And the first period counter is about to appear on your screen, and it's going to give me a few minutes, and maybe it won't. I'm going to have seven minutes to tell you about first period. You know what that means, that I have a clock? Absolutely nothing. But... <laughs> Listen, open house is really important. It's important especially for parents, right? When we take our kids to school and, man, we get the supply list of things that we need to buy them so they show up prepared. Also, we get the syllabus. And the syllabus is really important because the syllabus lays out what it's going to take for you, your child to be successful in school. You know, and I can remember when I, thinking that the fourth grade, they told me that that was the most important time because from then on it was going to be on my permanent record, whatever that actually meant, you know, and, and we all know that as parents, fourth grade is the most important financial decision we make in our lifetimes, because what happens is whatever kid class your kid takes in the fourth grade and their GPA turns into what classes they take in college, which turns into what class, what job they get when they get out of college to provide for you in your retirement, and it all is traced back to the fourth grade. You know, and we just wanted to capture some of the excitement that comes with Open House at church. It's a time for us to reconnect with people that we maybe haven't seen over the summer. It's a time for us to be reminded of the vision that God has given us as a church to impact our community and beyond. And it's a great time to understand, like, what's it going to take for us to get where we want to go, where we believe God is leading us? You know, you know one of the things about, about Open House is you find out a very critical piece of information and that is your home room. Your home room. You, you got to know where your home room is. Because if you don't have a home room, you got nowhere to be counted. You, you've got no launching pad into the rest of your day, right? You've got no one who's expecting you. You've got no place where you can get information. You can't really get started without a home room. It is critical for you to know where you're to be counted. And I just want to tell you, this is a place for you to be counted. This is a place where you are needed. You are needed here. You are needed here. We know that it, most people, their number one desire is to be needed. Like more than anything, you have a need to be needed. More than food, more than shelter, more than ESPN. You have a need to be needed. If, if you know that you're needed and have value and purpose, you'll figure everything else out, won't you? You'll figure it out. You know, I can remember when I was in the fourth grade, my favorite teacher was Miss Hart. And Miss Hart, I, I was crushing on Miss Hart in the fourth grade, and I would do anything for Miss Hart. As a matter of fact, over the Christmas break, she got married and changed her name to Miss Steele, and I was heartbroken in the fourth grade because of Miss Hart. But every day, at the end of the day, she would want someone to erase the blackboard that actually wasn't black, it was green, and it, so it was technically a chalkboard. Anybody remember chalk? Right? And so I would just raise my hand, Miss Hart, let me help, let me help. I want to do it, I want to do it, let me help. I want to erase it. Why? Because I wanted, wanted to be needed. I wanted to know that she valued me, that I could help out. And we're all looking for a cause that's bigger than ourselves, aren't we? I mean, we're all looking for somewhere we can contribute. Have you ever been somewhere and you weren't needed? Maybe a friend asked you to come over. Maybe a friend asked you to help them move or to help them do something, and you showed up and they had plenty of help. And so you just went back home because you were not needed. Listen, you are needed here. In 2 Peter, Peter writes this, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Everybody has received a gift. You've received a gift. Experiences, talents, resources, time, perspective, wisdom. You have received a gift and you should use it to serve people here. 
I'm supposed to use my gifts, my leadership, my communication, my, my vision, my ideas, my experience to serve you. And you should do the same to serve each other. When we do that, we'll create a movement that will make a difference. We'll do something that we could never do alone because it's bigger than us. We need to be part of a movement. You are needed. In just a minute, our student pastor, Joe Baker, is going to come. And he's going to talk about what's needed to reach the, what we like to call the now generation. They're not the next generation. They're the now generation that we can create spiritual powerhouses who will be forces for change in the future. Then you're going to hear a little bit about what it looks like to get into a group. And then you're going to hear from Joey about our launching our campus at Sandy Springs and what it's going to take for you to be involved in us reaching a generation that's been lost. You are needed here. But you know, you know the homeroom is not actually the most important thing you find out when you go to open house. It's not the, it's not the thing that kids are looking to find out. What they want to know more than anything is what lunch period they have. Like, lunch is more important because lunch is where you hang out with your friends, isn't it? It's where you, you tell jokes and you trade food and you learn negotiating skills to get rid of your yogurt for a chocolate chip cookie. We, we learn some skills in the lunchroom. And, and, you know, it's one thing to be in homeroom where your name is on a list for a teacher to check out. And the only reason she knows your name is because it's on a list. Because in the lunchroom, people know your name because they know you. They know you. Have you ever walked into a lunchroom and you saw a kid sitting off in the corner all by themselves, isolated and alone? It's not right. Listen, you, you aren't just needed here. You need to be known. Listen, you need to be known. You need a place where people expect you. You need a place where you can lay out some of your burdens so people can help you carry them. You need to be known. We all have this need to be known. We all have a need to be known. Have you ever met somebody, maybe for the first time, and you tell them your name and you exchange pleasantries? Then you meet them for the second time and you tell them your name again and exchange pleasantries. Then you meet them for the third time and they still don't remember your name? Like, what are you doing? Hi, I'm George. I'll see you later. Right? You're not, you're, we know that we don't feel valued. We don't feel a sense of dignity. Listen, you want to be where people know you. And as a church that's growing and reaching new people and seeing people baptized and changed, we have to fight to be smaller through being in discipling relationships where we are known. You know, one of the, one of the great sitcoms back in the 80s was a sitcom named Cheers. And Cheers was set in a, a pub in Boston. And many of you may remember that there, there was this one particular character that would walk in. He was a little pudgy, and he had some brown curly hair. And whenever, whenever he walked in, people would say, Norm. Everybody knew Norm. And there's something warm about that. And even the song said, you want to be where everybody knows your name. Listen, you, you are needed here, and you need to be known here. I am terrified of heights. Anyone else with me on that? Yes. When I was 16 years old, uh, a friend of mine, actually my church leader at the time, his name was Matt, and he invited me and a group of my high school friends to go to a, for a day trip up to a water park. And now, this wasn't your typical water park that we went to. In fact, I want you to remove all the images that just came to your mind of slides and pools because this water park is what I will forever refer to as a redneck Riviera. 
It was known as Green Springs, and Green Springs was built by the Korean War vet, the great Boy Scout leader and great American, George Wetherington. And George, he built Green Springs in his backyard, this splintery playground back in the late 1970s, back before, you know, like uh, bicycle helmets, back before padded, cushiony playground equipment, back before Nerf guns, and back before video games took all of the fun and danger out of childhood. And so George, he built this uh, pressure-treated lumber yard in his backyard, and he invited kids from all across the area and all ages to come to his backyard and jump. Yes, it really was as sketchy as it sounds. In fact, I have a picture right here of Green Springs. Yes, that says it all. Pretty dangerous looking. And when you pull up into his backyard, there's a sign that essentially says, do whatever you want, just no cussing which means it's a family-friendly place and a great place to take some high schoolers to. And so Matt took us here and um, known for its swings and ropes and all of these things, it's mostly known for its four-story high tower with multiple different levels and platforms. And the teenagers from generations past would give these platforms nicknames, like the first one was known G-Golly. That was what it was called, just jumping off. Gee, golly, that wasn't that bad. And then the second one was known as, oh, goodness. Goodness gracious, like what am I getting myself into? The third platform, appropriate name, was called, oh, Jesus. Like, Jesus, help me as I'm jumping off into the abyss. And the fourth platform was known as, give me another beer if I survive this mammer jammer. That's what it was called. And so as a great church leader at the time, Matt said, come on, follow me to the top. And so we follow him up, but me being afraid of heights, I get past gee golly and past goodness gracious, and I find my feet firmly planted on, oh Jesus, and I can't move. I'm stuck, terrified, petrified, can't go any further. And I don't know what exactly happened there then in that moment, what words were spoken, but somehow Matt convinced, need I say, inspired me to take the jump off of the ledge that day and into the water. And it turns out that Matt was exactly who I needed in the moment that day. And it would turn out that he would be exactly who I needed to help me get through high school and into college. Someone to push me past my fears and, and, and towards taking risks and being bold. Someone to help me move past my insecurities to be bold in sharing my faith at school and diligent in my pursuit of Jesus at the home. Someone to not just push me off of platforms, but to place me onto stages. He was the first man to ever give me an opportunity to get behind a drum set and lead our entire student ministry and then church in worship. He trusted me and then he pushed me further and further towards the front of the stage and gave me opportunities to speak and teach and to lead people. And it's because of Matt that I am the man that I am today. And it's because of Matt that I want to be to somebody who he was to me. And so I want you to think, church, who are the people in your life that impacted you in incredible ways when you were younger? Who's that man or woman that you had that challenged you, poured into you, invested in you? Or who is it that you wish that you had? You see, church, there is a generation that is desperate for somebody to support them, for somebody to believe in them, for somebody to push them towards their God-given potential and place them on a platform. See, church, I believe that there is a generation that needs you to be who you needed when you were younger. They need you to be who you needed when you were younger. 
Because this is a generation that is hiding themselves in, in behind social media, that is burying themselves inside their studies, and that is pushing themselves so hard towards success and achievement and what they can accomplish in life at no cost, at all the cost that they could ever imagine. They need you. And they need to be known. Like Stephen talked about, we call this generation here the now generation because we don't believe they're the church of just tomorrow, but we believe they're the church of today and that they have impact and influence to, on how people experience Jesus here and now today. And we don't believe that it's the next churches or the next people group's responsibility or the next generation's responsibility to reach them, but we believe it's our responsibility to reach this generation no matter the cost here and now. And our hope is that babies, toddlers, kids, and students would come to know Jesus and elevate him in their lives. What else would you want to be a part of? What else would you want to give your time to that they would come to know Jesus and then elevate him in their lives? See, I believe in this generation, and I believe in the potential of people that decide to be who they needed when they were younger so that they can experience Jesus just like you did. See, I believe that every kid is one caring adult away from experiencing Jesus. And you can be that caring adult, that supportive adult, just like Matt was for me. So that a kid, a teenager, can experience the person of Jesus and have their life changed from the inside out. And so this morning, my ask, my challenge is that you would be who you needed when you were younger to this generation, what we call the now generation, and say yes to serving in our family ministries, to say yes to coming to family ministry conference in just two weeks, FMX, where you get to hear what it looks like and experience what it looks like to serve the now generation, that you would say yes to giving your time and your talents and a lot of sweat and a lot of tears so that kids and students can experience Jesus. And the challenge is for you to be now for them who you needed back then. That you would be now for them who you needed back then. Think about it. In Psalm 145, David writes this. He says, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. That we would tell another and another and another generation about the hope that is found in the person of Jesus. Thank you. Well, hey, my name is Drew Adams, and I don't want you to miss out on being a part of a group this fall. Groups are our environment for ongoing connection, discipleship, and mission. We have our next Big Groups event happening on August 25th from 5 to 6 p.m. here at the church. Regardless of the stage of life you're in, we have a group for you, so don't miss out. Hi, my name is Becky Bryant, and my husband and I and our four children have been attending Stone Creek for three years. Hey, my name is Charlie Cardiff. My wife Jen and I started coming to Stone Creek with our two boys about five years ago. And about a year into our experience, I had the chance to get baptized, and it completely changed my life. So I spent uh, most of my career in the corporate environment, kind of coming through various jobs and, and kind of different levels of corporate stress that I think a lot of people have experienced. And I came to Stone Creek really largely for the messages and just love to hear the positivity, uh, but I really wasn't 100% uh, necessarily invested in some of, the, some of the stronger messaging around giving my life to Jesus. But we had a chance during one of our services where we had an impromptu baptism, which is the first time I can remember that ever being done, and the last time I can remember being done since, so I know that's a God thing. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a way that I, I still tell people I, I can't even 
uh, put into words, and it, a burning just happened in my chest, and I knew that if I didn't give my life to Christ at that time, that, that I wasn't going into. So um, we'd been attending Stone Creek for about two to three months, and I heard about Moms Connect. I thought, well, that'll be a good place for me to get involved and meet other moms and try to make some friends or some connections here in the area. So we start coming, and about two months after um, Moms Connect began in November, um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer and a form of lung cancer. And our world was completely shattered because moving across the country from Texas to here was a big deal for um, this little country girl that never thought she'd leave Texas. So getting that diagnosis, I was terrified, but I immediately knew that I needed um, a tribe, I needed people around me, I needed um, someone to help with um, just life because life was coming at us hard and fast. Moms Connect became that place for me. I reached out to um, two of the ladies that I um, had met on Facebook in the Moms Connect Facebook group and I just said, this is what's happened and I need help, I need a tribe. So I spent a large part of my career just kind of climbing the corporate ladder and, and working uh, just to work every day and try to try to uh, achieve as, as much as I possibly could. When I came to know Jesus, the pressure on that changed for me and it changed more towards centering my life not around material things and what I needed, but centering them around the decisions I needed to make in life. And they were not about me, they were about who I was living my life for. I realized there were people out there at Stone Creek in the congregation just like me that had been through the same struggles, that have felt the same anxiety, that kind of knew the same challenges that I had felt, but then also could, could gain from that benefit of just connecting. And, I know as men, one of the things that we're often challenged with is, is that connection with each other. And I really think there's just so much value in going together and learning together. And I've spoken to other men's lives, they've spoken to my life, and, and together I've found that, that by building relationships at Stone Creek and speaking into our men's congregation, we've really seen a lot of people grow. So basically from me reaching out and saying I need help, um, just having these women come around me and um, they prayed with me, they prayed for me, they prayed over me, they prayed for my children, they sent cards, and um, they brought food, they brought flowers, they brought um, offers of helping with our children that no one even knew. <laughs> they um, were just there to hold my hand through it all and hug me and encourage me um, through the whole process and help me not to feel like I was alone in this whole thing that was terrifying and scary and um, it was just an aspect of life that um, couldn't be replaced with anything else. I joined a group at Stone Creek because it really just helped me to, to get deeper into relationships with men, get deeper into the, to the gospel, to learn from men that knew more than me, uh, and, and to just kind of generally connect uh, with, with the men of Stone Creek. And beyond that, it's turned into just a, a, a fight for relationship that, that, I, that you know, I've seen happen with joining multiple groups and uh, bringing more men into it. It's just been something that, that has made me better. I feel like I've had a chance to make others better. And I think if we keep doing it, it's going to make our whole congregation better. Because I joined Moms Connect, I found community, and I didn't have to walk through this alone. That's why you need to join a group, too. Those are just two stories of lives being changed here in groups. There are so many more to come.
So let me tell you a story. When I was in my early 20s, I was working as a youth pastor at a church, and in keeping with my, what I'll call, progressive and innovative personality, others have called it rebellious, um, I decided to throw a food fight for an outreach event. And the thing was heinous. I'll tell you, I spent the following two weeks blowing flour out of my nose. My wife called an intervention wondering if I had a drug problem. The thing was wild, and at the event, the dad of a student who was there found out that I was in charge, and he clearly didn't agree with my innovative decision-making, and he asked me what exactly my job was. A fair question when you're refereeing a food fight. To which I responded, I'm the student pastor. And he said, so you're like a pastor in training, like you're studying to be a pastor? And I said, no, 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 I'm a pastor to students. And he paused clearly having some skepticism about the viability of my career choice. And then he said something to me that I'll never forget. He said, do you think one day you ever want to be a real pastor? (laughs) To which I replied, I don't know. I'll ask your son if one day he ever wants to be a real person and get back to you. And I think that that conversation, unfortunately, paints a picture of the posture of the church over the last 20 years. We didn't really care about the next generation. The next generation didn't really matter. The reason that we call the next generation the now generation is because somehow we missed the last generation. We missed millennials. Millennials aged, born 1981 to 1996, aged 23 to 38, now represent the largest living population in the American workforce. One in three people in the American workforce is a millennial. By the year 2025, 75% of the American workforce will be millennial, which means miraculously somehow we found a way of crawling ourselves out of our parents' basements and getting jobs. (laughs) Almost all of them. Now let me tell you our tragic, barbaric, Brutal mistake. Let me show you how we failed. 59% of millennials raised in a church have dropped out and no longer attend. 35% of millennials have an anti-church stance, many of whom think the church does more harm than good. And here's the statistic that's really staggering. Only two in 10 people under the age of 30 consider attending church important at all, an all-time low, which leads me to believe that there is an entire generation out there who are shaping our present and our future who do not know about the scandalous love and unrelenting grace of King Jesus. What is going to be our response, Stone Creek? In the year 2017, Forbes magazine did a study, and they said that Sandy Springs, Georgia, is ranked as the number 10 place in the entire country for millennials to live. So Stone Creek, we're going to Sandy Springs, and we're going for a generation. 
We're going for a generation who's been forgotten and overlooked and who researchers have called the lost generation. We're going because the perimeter needs, desperately needs a church like ours. We see an unapologetically Jesus-centered church for a generation of people who are burnt out on legalism and tired of religion. I've got friends who are millennials who grew up in this generation who say, I haven't given up on God. I just feel like the church gave up on me. Not our church. We're going to be a church that fights for relationship with people who are isolated and alone in an online world. We're going to be a church that fights for the doubter and the skeptic and the cynic and the sinner to have a place at the table to know that they matter. We're going to fight to create environments to talk, to courageously step into conversations that the church has avoided, to step into the most delicate, intimate parts of the human experience that make people question whether or not there is a God. We're going to go to, to determine to disciple a generation, equip a generation that we previously just tried to entertain. We're going to elevate the conversation to talk about stuff that matters, to elevate the dignity, the value, the worth of people, all people from all walks of life, all races and all colors, all ages. Then we're going to elevate the name of Jesus so boldly, so aggressively, so transparently, and so sacrificially that an uninterested world must take notice. We're going to Sandy Springs and we're going for a generation to wake them up to the wonder of Jesus. And so where do we go from here? We need you. I need you. My wife and I, we're selling our house. We're moving to Sandy Springs. We're uh, gonna brave the traffic, uh, uh, agree to run the Daytona 500 to go to the grocery store, right? We're saying yes to it because we believe that there's a generation that matters and I need gray hairs to come fight the war on wisdom with me. I need other millennials come, to come model for my friends what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so here's your next step on September 15th. We're having our first core team interest meeting. And if you're brave enough, if you're daring enough, if you wanna be the early church enough, we're looking for some people who wanna go on the wild goose chase of following Jesus. We don't have a building, but we've got a dream that God wants to reach a generation. And if you wanna come be a part of building that from the ground up, then, then man, be there September 15th for that core team interest meeting. And the second thing is this, on September the 29th, we're making the bold decision to move church off of Sunday, off of this location, and we're gonna have our inaugural church service in Sandy Springs. But the second part of that is that we're gonna have a city serve day where we get to serve this opportunity dropped in our lap to serve at the largest event in the city, the Sandy Springs Festival. We get to be the lead volunteers and show this city that we love them before we ever put on church services. There is a real generation full of real people who really matter to God, who really need you to step up. This morning, I got the call at 4.45 a.m. that my grandfather, who's been sick for quite some time, was fading fast and that I needed to go to the hospital. So I hopped in my car and I went to St. Joe's and I saw my grandfather, who's the only living spiritual legacy that I would have, any spiritual heritage comes from him. He's been in the same church for 30 years. A new pastor recently stepped into that church and he's seen that church grow and thrive. He's seen that church get old and die. And he looked at that pastor and he said, I would do whatever it takes to rally the troops, to rally the seniors, because I believe it's my responsibility to pass off the church to the next generation. And on the day that I have to stand before you and ask you to fight for the generation, my grandfather ends his fight and goes to be home with Jesus. What will your legacy be? How hard will you fight? Will you courageously go? Let's fight for a generation.
Well, as you can see, we have a clear dream of what we believe God wants us to be about. We have a vision just to reach people who don't know him, whether it's a lost generation or the now generation. And we want to be about the business that we believe God has us about. Starting with our now generation, as Joe spoke, we need people. We need people who will be engaged and involved in our kids' lives. Kids in this community who need someone to encourage them and help them and build them up. You know, there's a quote that has haunted me for years, and it says this. I've been searching for the man I never found. And that's the story of so many kids today, men and women, that they're searching for people. They need some good examples. They need someone to care for them. They need someone to invest in them. We need you. We need you to sign up. We need you to volunteer. We need you to give your time and your energy and your blood, sweat, and tears for us to reach the now generation. You know, as Joey talked about moving to Sandy Springs, we need you. There are some people in this room now who need to go. Our hope is that we would have 200 people by next August to launch publicly into Sandy Springs. Some of you may need to move there. Some of you may already live close by down there. Maybe some of you work there, and you need to be at that launch meeting coming up in just a couple of weeks. You can make an eternal difference, something beyond you ever dreamed was possible to reach a, a generation that's been lost. You know, you need to be known here. You need to get in some form of discipling relationship. And you need somebody to lean on, somebody to encourage you, somebody to celebrate you. And other people need to glean from your wisdom and experience. Listen, you need to be known here. You need to get in a group. You need to be around some people. You know, one of the things we like to say is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And we want you to go together. We want you to get in a group. You know, we, we also have dreams, and we believe God's given us a vision and some open doors globally. You know, we're, we've been engaging in a process to uh, evangelize Belgium. It's called Engage Europe. We want to see churches started in Belgium. You may think, Belgium, is that still a country? Didn't we lose that um, during the war? Belgium is a small country nestled between Germany, the Netherlands, and France. It's just across the English Channel from England. And Belgium is so non-offensive, it's so unthought of that they made it the capital of the European Union because they knew nobody would get mad. It's a dark place. You know, Belgium has less than a half a percent of people who are na national Belgians who are Christians. Half a percent. It puts them in the bottom third of evangelized countries. Belgium has the highest divorce rate in the world. Tragic, isn't it? Tragic. Belgium has the highest suicide rate in Western Europe. So we're going to engage in going to Belgium. We've already sent one trip there, and we're partnering with an organization called Operation Mobilization. We've identified what we hope can be some church planners so we can go, we can survey, and we can find out exactly where we need to go and how we're going to go about it. You'll see, you can see about a trip that's coming up in December. Some of you need to go to Belgium. Some of you need to, to move to Belgium. Some of you, all of us need to give to see Belgium receive the gospel that we so freely talk about every single day. Belgium's a dark place, and we want to go there, and we want to bring the light of the world. Will, will you? Will you step up? Will you step in to see what God would do? You know, every year when you go to school, one of the things that you experience is new kids. Like there's somebody that just moved to your school from somewhere crazy, and, you don't, they, and they, don't, they don't know you. you. You haven't seen them. And many times, especially boys, high school boys, we like to go to school to see the new girls that show up. Am I right? You, not me. Like, am I right? We want to see who the new kids are. It reminds me a little bit of Remember the Titans when Sunshine showed up from California. You remember that? And what's a, what's a new kid's, what's his first question? Well, I know anybody. Like, like will anybody... Will anybody know me? 
And the truth is, the person that you need to be known by, the person who is most important, who can fulfill everything that your life about, is Jesus. Jesus is the one. You know, we know that in him we find life. In him we find restoration. In him we find hope. In him we find healing. And when you make that step to follow Jesus, what happens is he knows you by name. He says he knows the hairs on your head. He knows intimately your hurts, your sorrows, your joys, your disappointments, your passions. And he's created you uniquely to make a difference in the world. You're known. You can be known by Jesus. But you know what? It's going to take somebody to, it's going to take, we, we need to take that message and tell people. You know, there's a hurting world out there that won't know unless we go and we tell them. You may notice in the lobby we have this thing that we call the go and tell wall. And the go and tell wall is simply this reminder for us that it's not about what happens at 13540 Highway 9 North on Sundays only. It's not in these four walls that happen in this parking lot that our mission is out there. And we want to go and tell the way Jesus commanded us to go and tell You'll notice there's ping pong balls. There's in, in, the, in the wall, there's a white one. And that's for people like me and you to write a name of someone that we're praying for to come to know Christ. Maybe it's your parents or a brother or a sister or a kid or a neighbor. Maybe it's your enemy or that person who frustrates you so desperately. Listen, if they knew Jesus, they wouldn't frustrate you anymore. You should pray for them. Write their name on a white ping pong ball and drop it in. And then when you have that conversation, you can write their name on that orange ball. And you can place it in the wall. See, without you, someone could live without God. Like without you telling someone, they'll go through life hopeless, not knowing that there's a God who loves them desperately, who sacrificed it all for them to see them set free. They, they won't know unless we go and tell them. You know, when I was in that, that monumental fourth grade, Miss Nash, Nash was my homeroom teacher. Now, Miss Nash was the homeroom teacher you did not want. She was the one that when you got there, you're like, please don't let it be Miss Nash. Please don't. If there is a God, it won't be Miss Nash. Miss Nash was a little older, so for a young kid, it was, she was a little scary. She was a little short, and she had red hair. And she was firm. She was firm, and I didn't want Miss Nash. Now, up until the fourth grade, I hated school. I rebelled. Like, I didn't want to go to school. In kindergarten, I can remember my, me holding on to the door while my mom pulled me, kicking and screaming into the classroom. A little embarrassing now, but that's kind of the way it went. And that's the way I was all the way through the fourth grade. I hated school. I'd wake up and say I was sick. I didn't want to go. And most of that was because there was a lot of turmoil at home. And then one day when I'm in the fourth grade, my mom's at the end of a rope, and she goes out and tells Miss Nash, hey, he's not coming in. Miss Nash comes out of the classroom and makes that, I can still see her coming, that long walk down the, sideway, down the, down the sidewalk at Gilmer McLaurin Elementary. And she comes and she opens the door and she gives me a few words of encouragement. And I get out and I walk inside with Miss Nash. And after that day, I never complained about going to school again. All because someone came and got me, told me some good news, told me they had, there was hope, and cared enough and loved me enough. I said, who's it going to be for you? Who's it going to be this year? Who's it going to be? You know, when, when, when someone comes, begins to follow Christ, what happens is they get baptized, right? They get baptized. And, and here's what baptism is. What we believe and what we see Jesus teach in the scripture is that baptism is symbolic. When someone makes that step of faith to say, I believe that Jesus came to forgive me of my sins. I believe and I'm going to trust him with my life. We follow in his example. And so as we go, as we, you'll see us, we're going to take people under the water. And as they go under the water, it's symbolic of Jesus going into the tomb. 
is symbolic of his death for us, that we're dying to ourselves to begin to live for Jesus. And so we're going to take you under the water. You won't stay there three days, but we'll take you, unless you need to, we'll take you um, under the water and we'll say this, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death. Just that we've identified with Jesus. And then as they come out of the water, what the person will say is raised to walk in a new way of life. Like, like we are new creations, that baptism is this symbol of new happening in our lives. Listen, some of you today need to experience new life in Jesus. Some of you need to know what it means for him to step into your marriage, to bring hope and life. You need to know what it means to step into your depression and anxiety. You need to know what it looks like to step into your purposelessness and your wandering and your struggling and your questions and your confusion and your chaos. This is what you need to know. And the way that you do that is by just telling him that you believe in him and inviting him into your life. Say, I will follow you. And then after that, you, you get baptized. Now, the ones who were baptized today, they've already taken that step to follow. They've already taken that step to say, Jesus, I am in all the way. And so, so here's what we want to do. As people are baptized, what we know in heaven is it says the angels rejoice. The angels rejoice. Now, angels are in charge of thunder. So can you imagine angels rejoicing? It will be loud and proud. And so we want to join them today. So you may not have been there before. When someone goes under the water and when they come out, we're going to really be glad. And so we are going to celebrate with everything we've got. Pretend it's the same as your kid walking across the stage to get their high school diploma and you never thought it was going to happen, right? You're excited. Let's go. So we're going to celebrate. Yeah, we're going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate with them. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to, um, I'm going to pray for us. And then they're going to come to be baptized. If you're a friend or family member, group member of someone who gets in the water, we'd love for you to stand in their honor just as a, as a mark of solidarity with them that you've been part of their journey. So let's pray together. God, thank you for vision. Thank you for a future. Thank you that you came for us. Thank you for the dignity we have to, to reach the now generations, reach the millennials, God, to reach the people who are in our community. And God, we just lift up those who are getting baptized today. Thank you for the courage to step out and be seen, to be counted, to find their place, God. Thank you for their boldness, God. Thank you that you know their name, that they're known by you, God, because of your grace and love. And God, that we'd be a church that sees more and more people get baptized. God, that this would be the year where we see more people come to know you who've given up on you. People who are broken and down and out and addicted and struggling and need healing, God, that they'd find this place. And God, it would be a place for them to meet Jesus. God, that's our heart's desire today. And we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.